Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week, finally, justice for a former soul singer who was brutally murdered on New Year's Day and silenced forever. Listen to the voice of Betty Willis. I'm so familiar with the heartache That smile of yours can bring And I try, try to resist Her suspected killer was arrested, caught practically in the act, yet it took five years to get to trial. It is a case that we've been following because no one has been covering it except for one journalist who was in the courtroom and will join us later to brief us on what justice looks like. But first, it is what every parent fears when they watch their child go out to play or to go to school. They worry, will my baby be taken? It just happened to a family in upstate New York. Their nine-year-old daughter was abducted while out on a bike ride during a family camping trip. As the crucial first 48 hours ticked by, hopes of finding the child alive grew slim, but then the kidnapper made a crucial mistake, leaving a ransom note with his fingerprint on it. This mistake made it possible to find the man and the little girl still alive. We're recording this on Wednesday, October 11th of 2023. Our guest today is Luis Bolaños, a former homicide detective with 30 years of law enforcement experience, a private investigator and founder of Get Bit Investigations. And then a little later in the show, also joining us is journalist Joseph Fennety, to give us an update on that case of singer Betty Willis. Lewis, welcome. It's so good to see you. Hi, Anna. It's great to see you as always. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm happy to be here in both these cases. Um, They both pull at your heartstrings uh, in different ways, uh, but uh, and and a good result on one of them. So thank God. Yes, I, I know. I know. I mean, I think when you and I were talking, the the unbelievable thing about the little girl who was abducted is that most of the time the children are not found alive and safe right right and then i caught that caught all of our attention on day one and i've really been following that case and you know it, it takes a lot of luck with a lot of incredible police work to, to bring things to a positive closure soon and i think we got all of the above Yes, and um, thank goodness that the accused kidnapper 
really was an idiot. Really was. That, helps. that absolutely helps. And yeah, he was. Yeah, absolutely. Is. Although the fact that he could, you know, have her sequestered for practically 48 hours is really frightening. That that it took that long to figure out that it was someone in the neighborhood. Just really scary. And I realize that this seems very stere stereotypical. But when you look at this guy's mugshot, does he not look like the creepy child kidnapper? Yeah, it doesn't help his cause that he has a, a Neanderthal look to him. But, you know, they, these people, these monsters come in all shapes, different sizes and colors. And it, it's just hard to put a face to them consistently you know 48 hours is still a very quick turnaround from being declared missing and found safe you know and as a parent or a neighbor or friend of this of this child it, it's never fast enough um but every hour every few hours went by law enforcement kept gathering more crucial information that was pointing in the right direction um so i you know i i think as you tell the story we're going to see how great of a job they did uh blended with this just the right amount of luck all right let's get to it this first case is out of corinth new york which is a small community north of saratoga springs that is where the nine-year-old girl was kidnapped and miraculously found alive she was found locked inside a cabinet of a disheveled trailer the survivor here nine-year-old Charlotte Senna, who disappeared during a camping trip with her family. The accused, 46-year-old Craig Ross Jr., who has been charged with first-degree kidnapping. Police say they found the girl locked inside that cabinet in the trailer, not far from where she disappeared, which is also interesting to me, Lewis. Again, you know, she was about, you know, something like, I don't know, 20 miles away, which isn't really that far. And how often is it that we find the victims of kidnappings, abductions, not so far away, but when you think of the radius of 20 miles, that's a massive amount of land to try and search. No, it really is. I mean, just the National Park itself is over 62 thousand acres it's massive right forest and cliffs and trails and you know worried about animal activity and trying to identify you know what may have happened here and then you add the distance to the house uh yeah it, it's a huge under undertaking so when police raided the house uh, you know they had two goals when they finally figured out who they thought it was capturing him and finding the little girl and making sure that you could do both without neither being hurt, especially the little girl. And they did, they did manage this. The amazing thing is that the break in the case came because the alleged kidnapper placed a ransom note inside the mailbox of the family's home and left a fingerprint on the note. And when he did this, he did this at like four in the morning under the nose of a trooper, a, a New York State trooper who was watching the house, who, who took notice yeah. of the car, who took notice of the man. Yeah, I thank God. And that's typical uh, you know, to leave some type of surveillance on the, on the home of, of the victim, the family to monitor the house just in case anything like that uh, happens. And thank goodness. In fact, law enforcement, what I read, they had left the surveillance for a little bit and just got back. Um, so uh, some luck there, but 
it was early in the morning, right? He dropped it off like 4.30 in the morning. Yes, um, yes, yes. And it, and it makes you wonder because, uh, you know, there's you know, a lot of the uh, uh, the news uh, folks covering this case uh, are looking, just like we are, to see if there's a connection between him and her or the family, if they know each other somehow. Um, how did he know the address? Did he, you know, it's a variety of ways you could have got it, but she gave it to him. Did he make a drive by the house and point it out? Did she give him the, the actual physical address of where to go drop that off? Um, all that's going to come out eventually, but uh, he, he lived close. He, he lived did. Close enough. Yeah. Well, the Daily Mail actually has a theory that they've put forth on what possibly could be the motive here, and it's financial. The Daily Mail is reporting that Charlotte's grandfather uh, received something like $2 million from a lawsuit. He was involved in a sledding accident, um, sued, I guess, the government, sued the sled maker, and ultimately received $2 million, and that the ransom note was for $50,000. So they're asking or putting forth the theory, did he target this family because he knew that the parents might have some money because of that settlement? And then there is another theory that's put forth, again, by the Daily Mail, the possibility that because the suspected kidnapper here also has children and has a daughter that's about 11 years old, that is it possible that he would have had some access or had been staking them out? I don't know, because here's the other side of that. A lot of reports describe him as a recluse, not the kind of guy that goes out a lot. And if you take a look at the mugshot, he is someone you would notice, let's say, at a kid's, you know, soccer game or softball game. The, the, you know, he looks, right. as you described him, Neanderthal man. Right. You know, you just don't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm abducting a child. Right. An opportunity because she did her last loop by herself. That was the opportunity. Oh, that's so scary. Just oh. one more loop, right? She was riding with a group of friends. They were doing loops. They wanted to call it a, a day and, and go eat dinner. It was dinner time. And she wanted, and she said, I'm going to go do one more loop. And it was one too many. Um, but, I, you know, you know, I've spent a lot of time in national parks in the last year. Yes. <laughs> um, and I know about that time, the barbecues fire up, people are outside and they're getting their drink on. And, you know, it, 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 and there's a sense of safety where parents feel that it's okay to let their kids go play with the other kids, you know, and, and I get it. I get it. You still got to be vigil, but they, sometimes they tend to lower their, their protective barriers and the watch on the kids more than other places because you're on vacation. But when she didn't return from that ride after her, it should have been a five minute loop and mom jumped on it right away and they found that bicycle so quick. And they said they had, Dozens and dozens of people who left their dinner tables to go help in the search. Within hours, they had over 400 people helping, volunteers, searching the area because it's 62,000 62, acres there. Um, it, it was just incredible. So I, I it, it was just a perfect scenario to find her. Um, yeah. So, oh, yeah. my gosh. You know, I, I think of myself as, you know, a child and the most exhilarating moments that you have when you're on your bicycle and you're in a location where you can go so fast and you pedal so hard and the wind is blowing on you and you feel the freedom, you know, even though you're just a child, you're like, it's it's one of the joys of childhood. And sure. but then how do you balance that joy with keeping them safe? 
Right. Like you said, we don't know if he picked her out because he had this part of it was the financial motive here. Um, but if she wasn't available, he, he sounds like he was there to, to get somebody. So frightening. Okay, let's get to the day and let's go through the timeline so you can understand how things were unraveling. So on Saturday, September 30th, Charlotte, again, camping with her family, her dad, David, mom, Trisha, they were at Moreau Lake State Park, which is about 15 miles from the family's home in Corinth. Remember, the ransom note was actually delivered to the family home. But the parents, when Charlotte disappeared, decided to stay at the campground, again, thinking that that was the focus of the investigation. They didn't want to be moved away from the last place that she had been seen alive. So we've gone through the whole bicycle thing. This was a loop that was just a five-minute loop. And she took the last one by herself at 6.15 is when Charlotte headed out by herself on that loop. By 6.30... Her parents are frantically searching for her because if you know, it only takes five minutes and she is now six minutes late. Every horrible thing is racing through your mind as a parent. It's the worst, worst moment ever. And then they searched as best they could by themselves for 30 minutes before they called the police. They called 911 at 647. Okay, now it's getting dark. Without question, it's getting dark in upstate New York. Police said immediately they suspected foul play. One of the things that we talk about here a lot, especially with missing persons, abductions, is I think it is different with a child, yet we've seen it with teenagers where right. cops, instead of siding with the let's follow our gut, believe that you know this is malicious in nature, were like, oh, I'm sure he or she just took off on their own. Thank goodness they took this seriously, but maybe it's because she's only nine years old. And they found the bike by itself, too, right? The bike right. was there. She wasn't. But, you know, we talked about this before. We've talked about this before, like you mentioned, where the Attorney General's office, they have a policy, a national policy for law enforcement agencies, how to respond to a missing person, especially a child. And their policy in the first paragraph says, always treat it as a missing person in danger, mm -hmm. a child at risk. Don't just assume it's a runaway. Don't downplay it. Start your search immediately and that's what they did it's not doesn't happen all the time but thank goodness they had an incredible response and people were on the right track they didn't think it was just a missing person they knew and there was an abduction they felt strongly absolutely although they also thought that there was the possibility that she could have left her bike gone off the trail hit her head fallen mm -hmm fallen in the lake not as likely as an abduction but again all those things had to be searched and this is a massive piece of property rangers were checking every car going in and out of the state park several agencies joined the search these search were aerial searches by boat because we're talking about a lake here and then of course bloodhounds hundreds of volunteers and yet no sign of her so she disappears Saturday night, and now it is Monday morning, October 2nd. Oh my gosh, can you imagine the fear? At this point, that's when everyone starts shifting and worrying, oh my gosh, what if she's not alive? And I think at this point too, law enforcement had already started to gather digital information from everybody who checked into the park and checking cell phone pings. 
um, right. which turned out to, to, I think, to be pretty fruitful for them. Um, and you're able to narrow down and, and cross-reference uh, who's in there and who may be more likely than any registered offenders that have checked in or, oh my goodness, they can tell what cell phones are in that area, right? And and run the name by the cell phone there. So they have now have a boundary um, and turns out that that turned out to be very fruitful later also. So a lot of work going on. A lot going on. But at the end of the day, what broke the case was the suspected, the suspected kidnapper himself. So as we already said, you know, police found this note in the mailbox. It was dropped off at 4.20 a.m. at the residence, at the residence. Now, there's been some criticism of the trooper and the New York State Police because if there was a trooper stationed there, and the trooper took note of this vehicle that stopped at 4.20 in the morning and saw someone looking like this guy dropping off a note in the mailbox, should the trooper not have stopped that person? Had the trooper done that, would we have saved this little girl maybe 12 hours earlier? So there's been a lot of criticism about that. What's your opinion of that? Lewis, I, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, I, criticism. I, you know, you know. After every case, you always sit down and you Monday morning quarterbacking. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. It, to me, it seems obvious the troopers should have made that stop on anybody. You're there for a reason, um, but they actually witnessed him putting the letter in the mailbox. So, yeah, who who knows? Um, maybe and there's a tactical reason why they didn't. Uh, I haven't heard that they didn't follow him. I I didn't. I just haven't heard that they did. Uh, so maybe that led to it. I would think that if anybody pulls up to the house and you see them, you're going to follow them. I don't understand, but that's going to be explained. But that's that's a very reasonable question. And maybe we don't have all of the facts about what happened at that house at that time. Because, you know, people do leave notes of sympathy, condolence, support, flowers when something like this happens. So I don't think it's unusual for someone to maybe leave a note for the family. It is unusual for someone to leave that note at 4.20 in the morning. Okay? That's just a little weird. Unless he's a jogger or she's a jogger, you know, so something didn't add up there. However, that note was crucial without question to saving Charlotte but I hope that there is an investigation, and I think the parents have a reasonable request here to say, please explain to us why you didn't jump on the guy at that moment if you indeed had a clear opportunity to do so. Right. 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 Okay. So now we have the note. The Daily Mail reports that they have sources who claim that the note could have been handwritten by Charlotte herself at the direction of the kidnapper. That hasn't been confirmed. We don't know if that's true. That's what the Daily Mail is reporting. Interesting. You know, the $50,000 sum has been confirmed by the authorities. So now they have this letter. And what's so interesting here for me, Lewis, is we talk a lot about DNA evidence all the time, all the time. And on this one, it was not DNA evidence but it was an old fashioned fingerprint. Right, right. And from an old arrest, right? From back in 1999, 19, I think. 1999, right, for a DUI. I mean, we, we talk about cases on this program all the time that are 
felony cases where they don't obtain prints right on an arrest so thank goodness they did that and and look at the finger if there's a fingerprint there most of the time that print will also leave dna with it um, of course of course the, the, the hit came back quickly because it was a latent print and and take a step further right they ran it once through what was it aphis right automated fingerprint identification system and did not get a hit so what did they do thank god they ran it a second time and it hit back from this 1999 doi arrest and th- what does that make you think Anna, on how many other cases because i don't think i don't think it's a standard uh, that they if it doesn't hit the first time that you rerun it I don't I don't think that's a policy. Maybe it should be. But it makes you think how many other cases out there. If it doesn't hit the first time and doesn't hit the second time, are you done? Does that mean the third time? You know, the more the more ridges and the more arches. And I mean, the bigger the print, the better quality, the more chance you're going to get hit sooner. I get that. But at what limit do you stop making these entries and how many people have stopped at one? You know, is that I think the case here was urgency. Yeah. because her life was hanging in the balance and there was no guarantee that she was still alive. And if she was still alive, the fear was that maybe she wouldn't be alive long. So thank goodness that they did try another database and were able to get that hit. So the hit comes back as a known criminal offender here. And it matched Craig Ross Jr., a longtime Saratoga County resident who was registered in the system for that DUI back in 1999. So according to authorities, they were able to identify that Craig had been in the area of Lake Moreau at the time of Charlotte's disappearance, which is what you were talking about, all the digital forensics work that was going on before they even got the fingerprint. And that match came back at 2.30 p.m., Note is left at 4.20 a.m. Match comes back at 2.30 p.m. And what was interesting, Lewis, is that police say Craig's vehicle, so Craig Ross's vehicle was registered to a residence that was roughly two miles from the Senna's home. Two miles from the Senna's home. However... That was not the home in which he was apprehended and not the home that he appeared to be living. He was actually living in this dilapidated mobile home trailer on his mother's property 20 miles away. And he was, again, living behind his mom's home. So state police release a public statement at 4 p.m. now soliciting the public for help. Meanwhile, they already know who they're looking for. But they're sending that out at the same time that they're zeroing in on this guy. So they get numerous tactical teams to move in on the house. And finally, at 6.30 p.m. is when they descend on the property. How about that? The fingerprint comes back to a match. And four hours later, they have her safe and he's in custody. Um, I, I, that's just phenomenal. So something, you know, it looks like they were, might've been, he might've been on a list already of possible suspects. Right. But you mm-hmm. talked about, he was at that house. Neighbors came forward and said, they noticed that uh, our suspect Ross had put blankets up in the windows of the trailer, this camper uh, just days prior to that. So who knows what his motivation for that was, what he was, what, what that meant. 
Um, but you had mentioned earlier uh, that the police felt an urgency to, to go into that trailer to rescue her. Um, and I think that's absolutely right because they're, to do it for SWAT teams, they, there's only two types of entries, right? A SWAT team entered this camper. It's either a stealth entry or a dynamic entry. And the, they were very clear they did a dynamic. A stealth entry is just that, where you go in very meticulously, slowly, clear room by room, work your way toward the back. A dynamic entry means you have an exigency, right? Something is happening inside and you're just going to go straight to the person and and solve it quickly. Um, so something kept raising their level of, of concern for your safety. Um, they didn't tr try to knock on the door to pull, you know, tell them to come out. They, you know, they went in there. Uh, I don't even think they had a search. Well, they did have a search warrant. But yeah. these type of entries, you don't need a search warrant if you can identify an exigency, a danger inside. And, and it looks like they did. She was in a cupboard. It's described as a cabinet Con or a cupboard, correct. right? So yes, these trailers, mobile home, whatever it is, a camper, they're small. So what in the world was she stuffed in? Oh, you know, I looked at it, uh, an aerial on it, and it looked like it was a travel trailer, which could have a bathroom. It could have cupboards under the kitchen sink. There could be a closet in there. She's only nine years old. It doesn't take uh, that much room to put a nine-year-old in there. Uh, but he did. Shoved her in there, locked it, and, and uh, trying to hide her. And apparently he resisted a little bit, um, so they dealt with that. Uh, but my goodness, and thank God for the dynamic entry because they felt that, uh, that they probably saved, they saved her life. I'm sure they saved her life. Agreed. Um, excellent Agreed. Work. Excellent work. She, police have said very little about her condition other than she is alive. She was taken to the hospital and the other thing they said was police said she was absolutely aware of the fact that she had just been rescued. And so it's not like she didn't know what had happened to her. She clearly knew what had been going on. The family has not provided any details ab about how she's doing. Ob obviously, this is an incredibly traumatic event, primarily for the child and, and for the family as well. Oh my gosh, I don't know how you recover from this. Like. How do you ever get to be a little girl again who just wants to ride her bike? Yeah, it's the new norm. No, um, yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's going to affect the family and friends and every child that, that knows her. And it's just always going to be there. Um, but, I, you know, she can't get through it. Um, I, we, I already, I, uh, I'm reaching out to Angela Rose and we're going to uh, send her. Uh, a lot of options and uh, programs that we have available through PAVE, promoting awareness of victim empowerment, victim empowerment, um, to, just to make sure she has every tool available and her family to, to make sure she can get through this at her own pace uh, and make it to the end and deal with this. And I, I think she can. This is a strong girl. I, I, I think she can get through it. And um, well, this. For some of you who don't know, Lewis is a victim advocate a survivor advocate and works around the country pro bono to help people. So that's the reference that Lewis is making. Many of you who are a regular um, family, part of the crime family, know that part about Lewis, but not everyone does. A little bit um, more on Craig Ross Jr. here. So he has been arraigned on first degree kidnapping and is being held in the Saratoga County Correctional Facility without bail. 
and they have indicated, the police have indicated that there are likely going to be more charges here. Now, a little bit more on his history. We've talked a little bit about it, that they managed to get him through the DUI. So uh, there is a prior girlfriend. This was all through the reporting of the Daily Mail again. The reason I cite it is because, you know, certain news organizations have things that others don't. And uh, I can't tell you about verification, but we like to cite different organizations and where they get their information from. And so a prior girlfriend had spoken with reporters there and said that she had to take out a restraining order against him in 2017 for allegedly grabbing her by the throat and throwing her across the room. She uh, says that he reportedly pleaded guilty to second degree harassment for that incident. And then the girlfriend went on, former girlfriend went on to describe this man as a monster. She said that he was the father of three children and that his children and that his own mother didn't like him. That's true. I saw video of uh, Ross's own son, allegedly his son, on his mom's property, speaking to reporters saying, I can't stand my dad to hell with him. He can go to hell. And he's a horrible person. I'm just saying the most things you would normally expect a son to say about their dad. So and there's some history there. There's absolutely some negative history. It, it's coming out and there's going to be more and more of these type of contacts. Um, it's amazing that that criminal incident you just described didn't result in fingerprints, more recent prints that they hit on the DUI one, right? This is the, that was a physical attack you just described. Yeah, good it point. Was a so um, consistency, we just need consistency. Yes, yes. And thank goodness again for his stupidity in leaving that fingerprint. And thank goodness for the determination of the investigators to keep running the print through different systems, because if he's not here, maybe he's there. It's, it's amazing how cases get solved. So we still don't know what relationship that Craig Ross has with the Senas. It is unclear. Was he watching Charlotte for some time? It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. So a family spokesperson expressed that the parents are just so grateful that Charlotte has been returned safe and they want to share with the rest of the world that they understand that the outcome is not what every family gets and they know how fortunate they are. And they are indeed fortunate to have their little girl back home safe. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So for our next case, journalist and podcaster, Joseph Fennity is joining us now. Hi, Joseph. Welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. It's been a little while, but I'm glad to see you guys again. Oh, we are so glad that you're here because you're finally here with some form of justice. And you have been leading the charge on getting justice for Betty and you've been like the sole voice, not obviously the family has also been, but you've been like the sole voice of the journalists. And I'm still shocked that this wasn't covered 
by local news media down here. Yeah, same here. Uh, same here. Uh, it's been it's you know it's been such it's it's been so interesting to see just how this case of five uh, five and a half years. We've got one headline, and it you know it was just at the very beginning of the case, and that's the Orange County Registers. You know, just said, hey, here's this person who passed away. Here's her story. Um, I think when when Betty uh, Betty Willis began her music career, I don't think that. You know, wanting to be front page news, this was not the idea. But to your point, why this was not even a little bit of a bigger story? There's so many elements to the story that's so important. Um, I think to um, all of us, not just residents here in California and music lovers and people who have moms, which is all of us, but everyone around the country. I think this is an important story. Um, but somehow we did finally, you know, five and a half years on. Uh, I'm here to talk to you today about what we accomplished. Mm. And with you leading the charge. So just a little bit about Betty and then we're gonna get into the details of the crime because we did uh, an in-depth podcast into Betty's life with Joseph, explaining and sharing about Betty's life, all the different turns in her life, um, about the crime itself. So we're gonna uh, put a link for all of you, we're going to make that available for you. I think you should really listen to that podcast because it really has all the richness and the fabric of a life that is complicated. Our lives are complicated. So, you know, like every human on this earth, Betty's life story has meaning and and hers was incredibly interesting. She was a recording artist in the 60s. So many of her recordings have been lost, but I know Joseph, you and some friends have been able to find it since her murder. And thank, thank goodness for her voice. So before we go on, I just want all of you just to hear Betty's voice. This is um, Betty singing, Act Naturally. So Joseph, Betty didn't make it as a big singer. Uh, she uh, tried her hand at being a recording artist and a uh, background singer, and then she ends up working for the post office, and eventually she ends up on the streets, unhoused for a long time, even though she had family and a daughter who, who wanted her to come live with them, but right, Betty made right. her choices. And I do believe, Louis, I believe the fact that when Betty was murdered, that she was living on the streets, I cannot help but suspect that police and prosecutors just didn't treat her murder with the attention and dignity that she deserved. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Anna. Um, for, for some reason, it, they just, you know, and, and I think maybe it's as simple as, as the fact that in the first articles of finding her dead body and what happened to her when she was murdered she was labeled as a homeless woman and it stopped right there and the only reason the only reason it went beyond that is because of the work joseph did he brought her to life and I, I'll, i'm going to jump way ahead but in the da's press release they don't call her a homeless woman anymore they call her by her god-given name and they refer to her as a former soul singer 
which she was on that night. But when you label somebody like that homeless person, you know, as Joseph has been ringing that bell stronger than anybody, you sh you cut off everything else they've been about their entire life, um, and and you erase them from history basically, um, and you put her back on the map, Joseph. And I think a lot of your work is a reason why law enforcement started, started to take it more seriously. Well, Lewis, thank you for saying that. I, I want to say that a couple of things. One, you hit the nail on the head. I do think that that initial press release and that initial statement and the initial uh, news reporting, homeless woman murdered, it stopped it in its tracks because they didn't put a person. Every, every murder, there's a person. So they put this, this kind of blanket um, identity uh, saying, oh, homeless, homeless person murdered, New Year's partying overnight. Okay, moving on to real news. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think that that is, um, for whatever reasons, that's what stopped this and its tracks, um, this story from being covered properly. Um, we did work over the last few years and once uh, True Crime Daily got involved over the last 12 months, um, a few things happened in the last 12 months, including you guys, that really amped up, um, dialed this up to say, hey, um, we want to know about Betty. We want to know that Betty is going to get justice. And we want you guys, district attorney's office, court system, everyone, we want you guys to be reminded that Betty was a mother a grandmother um your postal worker she you know she would help you out when you do the stamp wrong um uh you may have even heard her on the radio way back in the day but you're absolutely right um lewis when you say that um stopped in its tracks until we were able to give her an identity and i'm so thrilled that you pointed out the stark differences between the two and the only two press releases in six years ever released about betty willis when she died and when when they got her justice and again it went from nobody to hey look we're ready to issue a press release anyway oh, a little frustrating you know, that, but I, yeah. that bugs me to no end because the entire time she was still betty willis she was still the same human being and i i almost i i understand you know the prosecutor in a statement but i'm sorry it is about six years too late for that respect and recognition of betty i'm sorry i'm glad he said something but where were you before yes you're absolutely right where were you before because her story if he would have shared this earlier and the da would have grabbed that bull by the horns would have helped move this investigation forward right it would have brought more people on board to find out to humanize her and, and to make her uh, relevant to everybody but they didn't they just put her under the carpet as another homeless person um so yeah where were you i'm glad there's something now yeah, but, yeah. and i um, just want to say i know that um Anna and i were talking you, the three of us are talking earlier since we've done an entire deep dive in betty's case not to get in too detailed here but just one of the most important overviews that you can't emphasize enough is this was a rape and a murder caught on camera minutes later suspect in custody he's been in county jail for five and a half years he did the crime at 22 he just turned 28 um what seems to be the problem so yes thank you exactly okay. Done with exactly that exactly right. because he was literally you know when i said he was caught literally in the act he had his pants down when the police rolled in 
So let's let's just summarize a little bit of the details of the crime, and then you can take over, Joseph, with the trial. So Betty was 76 at the time that she was murdered. She was murdered on New Year's Day of 2018. She was sexually assaulted, beaten, and strangled. A neighbor called 911 because they heard a woman screaming. This was at 4.30 a.m. Police roll in, and as we said, they saw the perpetrator there with his pants down. Betty is dead. He is arrested immediately. Joseph, you say there's video surveillance of this. What in the world took five years? I cannot believe it took so long to get to trial. I know there was COVID. I know that delayed things by a year, maybe two years, but more than five years, please. They keep yeah. leaning on, uh, yeah, they keep leaning on this language barrier. Uh, the uh, suspect, Rosendo Peck, now 28 years old, he does claim that he uh, do, does not speak English, does not speak Spanish, only speaks a certain form of this ancient Mayan dialect that after five years, I still don't know how to say it quite right, so I won't say the name of the language. But, um, and, and the court says that there are only two, maybe three certified translators in that specific dialect that are available in the country. Um, I haven't verified that, but that's what they kept saying. Again, how you can't get this together in, you know, f- five, five years, eight months, whatever it's been, nearly nine months. Um, I, it's not... It's one of the answers, but it's not an answer. Um, you know, yeah, how it, how it, it took so like, long. Yeah, it seems more like an answer. of So let me just, I, I think, is it K'iche or K'iche or K'iche? I, you know, I, I, yeah, K'iche, something similar to that. Yeah. Yes, K'iche, so, yeah. I, it, this isn't new where someone claims in court they don't speak a language. And that threshold is pretty, usually pretty easy to defeat. Um, you could pretty much grab any language uh, uh expert around the world and bring him into court even just over the phone over zoom so it's not an impossible threshold i i am an immigrant from guatemala and growing up in my household right uh speak spanish but whenever there was something we didn't understand i remember my family my friends saying i don't get it it's quiche to me quiche is not spanish right it's a mind dialect and within the different mountain ranges and and the the areas in Guatemala, there's 20, 30 different dialects just in the Mayan culture. I get that. And so I just did a quick Google search for the uh, Mayan experts in Quiche. I know I'm destroying that word. Uh, and uh, the the biggest one comes out of Utah. And I think one of the translators were at Utah University, I think BYU. And I went to YouTube to, for the first time to listen to people speak fluent Quiche. And my gosh, it's not even close to Spanish. Right. So, you know, I don't know if he came up with that defense, that potential defense theory to put a monkey wrench in it or one of his five or six defense attorneys did. Um, But I could see why it would cause a a delay. But he was he was interviewed by law enforcement on body camera and station camera. I'm sure I'm sure he has spoken with other people, whether it's in Spanish. I bet he's probably pretty fluent in Spanish. I've got answers to both those questions. Just recently, we found this out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. That 45, 40 to 45 minute police interrogation by Santa Ana police, that was conducted, as you know, entirely in Spanish. Um, It was also played in its entirety in court. So we got to hear the suspect speak Spanish, hear Spanish, go back and forth for 45 minutes. 
Now, if that's not enough, it should be. It is. But if that's not enough, we were also played a phone call, a jailhouse phone call, as we call them, um, where Rosindo Peck calls out to a friend and has a conversation in what, you guessed it, Spanish. I can't. This is making me ill. You know, I I want to flip a table. I I just. I know. I know. This is just so wrong to permit this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, and you know, it was really interesting, you guys, because as as I was sitting there in court watching it all play out, it was it it, it it's such a it's such a pro- production production yeah it's such a production it was so involved it looked very expensive um, you had uh, the nine one one caller that we uh, referenced earlier, uh, Louis and Anna, and also on the on the earlier episode. She did appear and testify. She speaks only Spanish. So you had a Spanish interpreter speaking to all of us in the courtroom. Uh, You also had the suspect's interpreter speaking that other language. Um, Going back and forth, English, Spanish, um, the ancient Mayan dialect, all at one time. And I I just... um, it was interesting to see the now that's the wheels finally in motion but it was just interesting even to see that like wow innocent until proven guilty and and get creative with your arguments and you can hang out in county for a while before you go into prison apparently and so the evidence at trial appears to be incredibly strong to have you know the video of the act I, I, I mean, what more evidence did they need? I'm sure that was there also some DNA evidence that was done or presented? That's right. Yeah. DNA evidence on the suspect uh, within her. Oh. Um, you know, here's the deal. Um, it was interesting, you know, talking, uh, talking to Lewis. I can talk about Betty, Betty Willis. Talking to you, Anna, we, I hear you talk about Betty Willis. We know who Betty Willis is. But... Other, th- other than in my true crime and a few journalist circles of people I call on the phone to give Betty updates to, I don't really hear her name much. And um, I, I go into court and I don't know, I was kind of taking notes, right? Just kind of going along with it. And then I heard Betty Willis echo through the courthouse. I thought, oh, I think we're here. I think we've gotten here. Hmm. So it was, it was a real special moment um, when... I mean, suddenly you see her picture on the big, you know, PowerPoint, you know, uh, not a very good PowerPoint, Orange County DA, just saying. But you see Betty's photo up on the PowerPoint. You see um, people, we're here to talk about the life of Betty Willis. I thought, wow, we are here to finally get justice. But Anna, I will say that, you know, again, back to DNA and back to the evidence that uh, the jurors and those in the courthouse uh, were presented with. It was tough because you've seen photos of Betty. I, I've sent you those cute photos that we have of her, but I I had to see photos of Betty. I, 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 you know, the stuff. And you know, I'm not a crime and justice reporter. This was just me being irritated that I had to get, you know, Betty's story done. So I'm not even used to this kind of stuff. Let's be honest. Um, uh, crime and justice is not my beat. But there I am uh, with everyone, including the family in the courthouse. Um, uh, uh, Betty's daughter, um, uh, some of Betty's older grandchildren. And, you know, there's Betty a photo of Betty and Betty's not alive anymore. So the courtrooms are already pretty quiet, but if you can take 
the zero decibel and take it into the negatives, it just took the air out of the room to see this lively person with such personality and such voice who should still be alive, not alive and proof of it right in front of your face. Um, that was that was one of the more, there were a few more difficult parts, but that was one of the most difficult parts, I think, for the family to have to see. Joseph, was there any defense? What was the defense? And he's had multiple public defenders. I don't know why he's had so many of them in and out, in and out. But what was the defense? So it wasn't 100% clear. There were a lot of questions uh, from the defense trying to kind of um, uh, poke holes in something you can't poke holes in. I mean, have you ever seen someone like, I'm going to be really honest with you guys, have you seen someone in a talent show? It's like, I'm going to sing something and they start singing and you're like, you're going to have to listen to the next three minutes of the song, but you're shaking your head going, this is off key. <laughs> so that was the defense. I mean, there were a few, if I recall correctly, Anna, there were, a, you know, something about um, there's, you know, the, this was a robbery. He didn't intend um, to kill her. Um, the, again, the um, death certificate seems to indicate otherwise. Um, it was just kind of a messy, messy ball of random ideas um, that just didn't hold much water. Because there is no defense, Lewis. There's no defense here. No. There's none. They they can try to go after something procedural, maybe. Uh, You know, when you don't have the case and out of the evidence, you go after the individual and and they they can't go after Betty. They can't. Um, Did they they try to go after uh, Joseph at all? Did they bring up the fact that uh, Miranda wasn't read in his native language? Was that an issue at all? That that I do not believe was brought up. I don't remember that being brought up. That's interesting, Lewis, that that would be the technicality. But if there's a videotape of the man speaking in Spanish back and forth with the Mm -hmm. arresting officers, give me a frickin' break. And I'm sure they probably read it to him in Spanish. I I think the the conversation is in Spanish, right? And he probably said, see, I mean, mean, he gave a verbal acknowledgement, a reasonable acknowledgement that he understood everything and, you know, more evidence toward against his, his poor defense there. But good. I'm telling you guys, it was tough. It was so... It was so tough to, I, I sat behind the family and, you know, during uh, opening statements, you know, uh, Betty's daughter, Stephanie, had, she she hung in there as long as she could, but she had to exit the courthouse, for the courtroom for a little while. Um, you know, we learned things and I don't want to bring everyone's day down, but I'll tell you one more thing just to, just because I want you guys to know. Um, there were things that, that, you know, if someone's neck is held so hard that a that a bone breaks, you know, where do you go with that? This is this this is someone who who viciously murdered someone and doesn't belong in our community on our streets anywhere. And it was it was just to get Betty justice. Her family had to go through a week of of really intense um court court hearings and i think it kind of because because the orange county district attorney's office or whoever was not able to get the show on the road a little bit sooner you have a family that was victimized at the very beginning of 2018 um having to before you can put the band-aid back on there was a big rip off of the band-aid and um 
I know that I spoke with her family and they're very pleased. They were so thrilled, you know, justice for Betty. Yes, we did it. Um, but it was also like the day after, like, oh my gosh, you know, I spoke to her daughter. She said, I feel like I'm right back there at day one. She said, cause yes. it's opened up the wounds again. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've always, I, I share this occasionally that, um, I covered an execution and it was a horrific, horrific, um, you know, serial killer. And the families showed up at San Quentin and they all came in from all over and they had t-shirts and they were pumped and this was the day and he was going to pay and he was going to die. Because I followed them. We're all staying at the same motel because there aren't a lot of places near San Quentin. And then I saw everybody the next morning. They were so sullen. Mm. They had been up here. It's like, yes, I'm getting justice for my loved one. And then the next morning, you know, they were sullen and they were sad and they were back to their heartbroken selves because even though they had gotten what they felt was the ultimate justice, their loved one was still gone. And that to me was it I've it's never left me because it taught me such a lesson about grief and loss and the criminal justice system and what justice means. Yeah. I bet they felt like they were punched in the stomach all over again. I can only imagine. I mean, if 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 someone like me, a third party, uh is kind of, you know, doing his best not not to lose it, not to cry. Um, I, you know, how does it feel to those who, you know, family is someone who is missing their mom is missing their grandmother. Um, you know, how does, how does that work? Um, it, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. Betty's voice. I told you this last time Anna, when we spoke on true crime daily, but Betty's voice, um, I don't think it's ever really gotten, there's just, there's just been bad luck in Betty's voice not being heard. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that this case, now that it's over, um, maybe, maybe everyone can take a second or two to give Betty Willis like one more ride around the sun, just that voice, you know, and it's that voice that notified that witness to catch her killer. So why is this man finally behind bars? Because Betty spoke out, you know, it was Betty's cry that, that, that got this guy behind bars eventually, but Betty's beautiful voice, that strong voice in those songs act naturally and all the other ones go to YouTube. You'll find Betty Willis. Um, I think that's what is, you know, the important thing to, once we trudge through all this, it's like, it's nice that her voice can live on. It really can. You got me listening to that on YouTube act naturally. I've had that tune in my head now for the last three days. Um, I, I think her voice is resonating pretty darn clear now on YouTube, and it is, you can see a slow S pick up on that. It, uh, people are going to gravitate toward it, and if you're out there in our audience, go, go check her out because she is a phenomenal talent. And I can see the Act Naturally song being in some movie as as, as the intro song. That is, right? the yeah. lyrics are amazing because it sure reflects her, right? It's just yeah. amazing. But the other people who did hear her voice that really matters at the end of this is the jury, right? They came back for less than an hour. Yeah, that's it, right. right. So they heard right. enough, less than an hour. Done, so, out of here. So done. September 28th, 
Yeah. They deliberate, what, less than an hour, and yep, they yep. found him guilty. One count, first-degree murder with special circumstances, and, of course, the sexual assault. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Man. Yeah. That sounds good. Sounds yeah. good to me. Yeah. Right? That, 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 sound, yeah. that sounds good to me. Yeah. And interesting, that in the, in the DA's uh, press release, when they refer to the suspect in this, they yeah. call him a homeless man was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. They didn't give him his name. They didn't put his name out there. And for that, I, I don't know. That one doesn't bother me as much. Right. I don't really care about him. Right. So <laughs> I just want to say up. it is. No. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. But Lewis does have an interesting point with these two press releases that the two things, you know, two things we've heard from uh, the district attorney's office. It's been this strange press release at the beginning and then this total like suddenly someone else is homeless and now this person's a star. What are we? I'll also say the opening statements. I just want to say those opening statements. I was like, oh, OK, I'm thinking back to my. Los Angeles Magazine article right before I came on True Crime Daily. It was released about a year ago. And I'm thinking, this sounds familiar. This sounds familiar. This, wait, this sounds very, f- I, I got to tell you, I, 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 several people have come up to me and said, hey, I think you really helped push Betty Willis' case through. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I, I have seen, <laughs> again, since True Crime Daily, I think people have turned to True Crime Daily. They've turned to my website, josephinity.com, the traffic spiked during the Betty thing, because mainstream, for whatever reason, didn't latch on to the Betty story at all. And so it was thanks to you guys, um, for helping amplify it, because I can only tell so many people, okay? So having you, Anna, and you, Lewis, to help me get the, get the story out about Betty, I think it's been so vital and so important. And I've got a message from Stephanie, who is um, Betty's daughter, um, and she just wants to thank you guys and True Crime Daily. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was from this that the district, I don't know if I've told you this, Anna, but we email a little bit back and forth, but it was from this the district attorney's office down in Orange County started getting phone calls. Start, hey, what's going on with this case? Hey, can, can we get justice for Betty? So yeah. we all kind of worked together in making sure that Betty was not ignored. And thank, so thank you, you all. Thank you all for doing that. You know, we, we occasionally, you know, I guess you could call it a call to action. We just point something out. We say there's an injustice in this world. What do you think about it? You can raise your voice in support and you can do something about it. So I'm glad that that really increased the public pressure on this case. I, again, I was stunned. Joseph, you just emailed me and we didn't know each other. I read your article and I was like, oh my God, how did I not know, you know, Santa Ana's an hour from here and an hour from Lewis at that time. How did we not know that this case was going on. It was just such a travesty. So, you, th- your your first article is beautiful, and it sounds to me like the prosecutor copied your homework for this prosecution. Yep. Yep. I just hope that if Anna, if anything were to ever happen to someone you love, or Lewis, someone you love, someone I love, I don't want five and a half years of my life to go by. Um, that, that you know. Th- the story's over. The story's done with. Betty's got justice. Delayed justice finally arrived. Um, we've got her voice out there, you guys. Um, I still have one last question, and mm-hmm. I've been reaching out to Todd Spitzer, who is uh, Orange County's district attorney. Um, 
I just want to know what took so long. You know, even a no comment would be better than a nothing. But um, I continue to reach out to his office on a regular basis. I just want to recap. I, I just want to understand, am I missing something? How did it take almost six years to, you know, let let Betty Jane Willis rest in peace and rest in power? I, I just, I still want to know. So anyway, if you're out there, please call me. I, I, I'd like to know. Just button that part up, I think is important. Yeah. Oh, it's very important. important. Yeah. Very, very but important. as an elected political official, which is how our district attorneys are here in California, good luck trying to get that answer. Yeah. You're lucky you got a statement that included Betty's name as a human being at the conclusion of the trial. Yeah. 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 And, um, very, uh, I'm, I think I know the answer to this, Joseph, because you were there. Any, all the evidence that was presented five and a half, six years later for prosecution in a successful prosecution was probably available five years ago. They could have presented the same evidence back then. It was available because I was aware of several pieces of it. Um, it you know, it doesn't take too long for it to start, you know, getting to other people. Um, but yeah. yes, 100% you're right. And I will say one more thing if I, if you don't mind and then I'll be quiet, but um, th this case has touched a lot of people. I was getting messages from um, jury members, potential jury members, pe people who just randomly heard about the case. Um, people were just, people who, let's put it this way, people who wouldn't, uh, you know, typically go track down a website and email a stranger, you know, those kind of, th those kind of messages. Um, so this really resonated with a lot of people. But um, anyway, to your point, you're absolutely right, Lewis. This, the evidence was available, much of it from day one. Within 24 hours, they had the video footage that had Killing Betty Willis on it. So, yeah. This, some questions don't get answered in life. I think I've got to come to that conclusion. Yeah. yeah. The justice system is not kind to the victims and their families. Not kind. It's like one more injustice. Joseph, thank you so much. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for leading the charge on this. Thank you for giving Betty a voice. You know, I know we started this conversation a year ago, which was still many years too late. But even in that year's time, when I went looking for more of Betty's songs on YouTube, there were so many more this time. And I was so excited. I'm playing them all. I'm like, oh, this is great. People are finding her music and uploading it's it. It's true. It's true. It's not over till it's over. And I, I, when I first started the story, if you Googled Betty, uh, her photo didn't come up. Now her photo is the first photo that's there. So thank you guys for, you know, you, Lewis, and you, Anna, for, you know, letting Betty be known. It's just, yeah. And I've got act naturally stuck in my head too, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, just I want to say congrats to Joseph. Uh, you you took step one. You started this. You rang the bell first. Um, and I honestly feel if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have had this resolution as now as soon as it came after you rang the bell. Uh, but I will say be careful because this type of work is addictive. Look, I know. Look, I've already got Anna's home phone number. I mean, it's just like, I, I, how do I get out of this group? Um, uh, thank you guys for amplifying Betty's voice. It was, she deserves it. So thank you guys both so much. Oh, thank you. This is, uh, we're so glad that we were able to have you, Joseph, to, to finish this. We like to follow cases here, and we think that that's important to tell the stories of the people who have been hurt and killed. It's very important to always hear their stories and know them. 
So, Joseph, uh, where can people find you, follow you? Absolutely. Most accounts are my last name, Finity. So, Facebook is slash F-E-N-I-T-Y. Uh, whatever Twitter has now become. That's how long this case has been going right. on. Companies now have new names. Um, X and Twitter is at F-E-N-I-T-Y, Josephinity. And then the main thing, if I could please ask you guys to share, 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 Josephinity, J-O-S-E-P-H-Finity.com slash Betty. That is the hub, the forever Betty Willis headquarters. So um, we can keep talking about her and make sure she's not forgotten. Terrific. Terrific. And Lewis, where can people find you or follow you? Thanks, Anna. My entire social media footprint can be found at getbitinvestigations.com. Excellent. You can find me at Anna G News, Anna with one N. Uh, you can find this podcast and all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And specifically for this case, we're going to have links for you. So um, really take a moment to listen to the rest of Betty's life so you can hear how she ended up where she did and how and the choices in her life and then the things she didn't have choices over. Um, okay, so this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Until next week, as we always say, don't do crime.